Well, speaking of kids, last Thanksgiving, this past Thanksgiving, uh, Heidi and I realized both my parents and her parents were going to be out of state, uh, and so we had no uh, big family plans for Thanksgiving, and we decided that we'd take the opportunity to surprise our girls uh, with, with a short weekend trip to the Wisconsin Dells. Uh, and so we, we booked the trip, we, we bought our, made our reservations, uh, and we decided that we were going to try and keep this a surprise. Uh, now, our girls were disappointed because they knew that we weren't going to have a big family meal. They loved that big family meal. Uh, and so to help us keep the secret, uh, but also to sort of, uh, you know, buoy their spirits a little bit, we told them that since we weren't going to have a big family meal, we would take them to a special breakfast at Cracker Barrel. So uh, the night before, we packed all the bags. We had already put them in the car so that they wouldn't see us doing any of that. Uh, and, and the morning of Thanksgiving, we, we woke them up, we loaded them in the car, and we thought, you know, this won't last long, but we'll just, we'll start driving, we'll see how far we get before they realize that we might not really be going to Cracker Barrel. Um, it, it, it became kind of funny and weird because we made it like an hour into Wisconsin. I know, we have it too easy. <laughs> We had an hour into Wisconsin before a voice from the back seat finally piped up and said, how far away is this Cracker Barrel anyway? <laughs> and we thought, okay, this has gone on long enough. We'll, we'll, we'll break the surprise to them. So we said, well, actually, we have some really exciting news for you. We're not headed to Cracker Barrel. We're headed to the Wisconsin Dells. And, oh, they're so excited. You know, there's high fives and this is going to be awesome. Thank you. But then, if you've ever been on a, on a trip with a child, you know what inevitably is coming, right? So after that initial burst of excitement and joy at this good news, we got the obvious and logical follow-up question, which is, well, how far away is that? When are we going to get to the Wisconsin Dells? Now, if you were with us last week, you know that we covered two parables that Jesus told as a defense of his ministry, the parable of the leaven and the parable of the mustard seed. In both parables, Jesus argues that the kingdom of God is present here and now in his ministry. And like mustard seed or leaven, while his ministry might seem small or insignificant, the kingdom is here and it will accomplish its work. One day, Jesus says, that tiny seed will be a great plant. One day, that little bit of leaven will work through the entire batch of dough. And one day... The kingdom of God, inaugurated in the work and words of Jesus, will bring about the fullness of God's kingdom, the final defeat of evil, and the vindication of the righteous. Now, one way to think about those parables uh, is that all of them address the front end of that process, right? They both make bold and hopeful claims about the ministry of Jesus, they challenge our perceptions about size and significance, and they argue that, that God is going to take what seems to us to be a small local ministry and use it to change the world. And again, our little historical note from last week is that, of course, God goes on to do exactly that. But just like my girls last Thanksgiving, Many in Jesus' audience, after the initial excitement of that first announcement wears off, turn to Jesus and ask, what is the obvious and logical follow-up question? They ask, well, what about the other end of that process? When, if you don't mind sharing Jesus, will the work of the kingdom be completed? When will the seed be full-grown? When will the leaven finish its work? When 
will the fullness of the kingdom get here? So this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus answers those questions about the length of time and or when exactly the fullness, the fullness of God's kingdom will arrive. Uh, just like the question we raised last week, uh, this is a question that Jesus appears to be asked often, uh, as well you might imagine. I mean, I, I think if Jesus had a cell phone number, he would get asked that question an awful lot today, right? You can imagine people texting and calling him, hey, no hurry, but just, you know, are we close? How much longer, Jesus? Uh, no different when he was alive walking the earth. Uh, on some occasions, he responds to that directly, if a little bit cryptically. Uh, there's some funny anecdotes where he, he makes the disciples very nervous by talking to them about what they're going to do when he's not there anymore. And they're like, what do you mean when you're not here anymore? Uh, but on a lot of occasions, like the one we'll look at this morning, Jesus responds to that question with a parable. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Now, depending on your translation, uh, this may be called uh, the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids, the ten young women. There, there's one word in Hebrew that variously gets translated for all of those. Uh, I am going to use a couple of those interchangeably, mostly bridesmaid, because it's, it's about a wedding, and so that's the one that makes the most sense to me here. So Jesus says this, he says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The groom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the groom, come out to meet him. Then all the bridesmaids woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, hey, g give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, then there may not be enough for both of us and for, for both us and you. Instead, hurry up, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the groom arrived. The bridesmaids who were ready went out to meet him, and they went with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others came also. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, Jesus said, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Uh, now, this parable is a narrative parable, meaning it tells a story. It makes a point in this story through an implied analogy between two things. In this case, readiness, readiness to participate in the wedding celebration with readiness to participate in the coming kingdom. Now, as I mentioned last week, uh, one of the keys to understanding parables well is to identify Jesus' intended point of comparison. Uh, now, this parable, because it's a narrative, has a lot more details than the ones we looked at last week. And so it offers, a, it offers up opportunities for a whole bunch of comparisons, right? And so you can imagine, you can start to wonder, like, well, are we supposed to compare Jesus to the groom in the story? Uh, do we compare the wise bridesmaids maybe to the Gentile believers and the foolish bridesmaids, the Jewish believers? Or should that go the other way around? And what about lamp oil? Is that like faith 
Is it like good works? And, and what is shutting the door to the celebration? What, what is that to be compared to? Well, I understand the temptation to do all that, but I would suggest to you this morning that the parable itself makes clear that those aren't the comparisons Jesus is trying to make. Uh, the comparisons Jesus is trying to make, his intent, uh, is to compare uh, the readiness of the wise bridesmaids with our readiness for the coming kingdom. We know that because that's the comparison Jesus sets up between five bridesmaids who are ready and five bridesmaids who are not. A closer look at the parable is going to make that clear, I think. But first, let's clarify what's happening in the story. As most of you probably know, uh, in that part of the world, both then and to a large extent today, weddings are a, a protracted multi-day affair with many celebrations. Uh, there are a few things that could be going on in this parable, but, but I think the best way to think about what's happening is this. When the parable opens, the bride and groom are at a banquet probably with the bride's family. So the bride's, the bride's family, they're hosting this banquet at their house with their friends, celebrating the bride and groom. And what's gonna happen during the parable is either the groom alone, more likely the groom and his bride, uh, when that banquet wraps up, they're gonna make their way back to the groom's house where his parents, his family, are also gonna throw a banquet to celebrate uh, the new husband and wife. Uh, the, the 10 women who give their name to the parable are friends of the couple. And their job, as Jesus describes, is to keep watch for the return of the groom, the bride and the groom. And then when they see them, they're to go out, they're to meet them on the road, welcome them, and escort them back in to the next banquet. The problem is, they don't know exactly when the groom is going to show up. Uh, it could be that that previous banquet is going to be a nice dinner, but it's going to wrap up after, you know, dessert, and they'll right away start making their way back. Or it's possible that that banquet is going to go late into the night, as indeed it does. There's no way for the young women to know how long they're going to have to wait. As it happens, Jesus says, the couple are a long time in coming, returning just after midnight. And many of the young women, having grown tired during this long wait, they fall asleep. Now, a quick note here. Sleep, at least in this parable, does not appear to be viewed negatively. Uh, after all, they've, they've had the, the wisdom to leave somebody awake to keep watch, and that person does their job. They see the groom returning, they wake up the rest of them. Instead, judgment in this parable is reserved for the five foolish bridesmaids, not because they fall asleep, but because they are not ready. Despite their long wait, despite the fact that they have hours and hours and hours to make sure that they have oil for their lamps, when the groom comes, they have no oil. And so running to get some at the last minute, they miss the arrival of the couple. And consequently, they are left outside when the celebration begins. Now, I think at this point, we're ready to ask ourselves, how does this parable answer the question that Jesus is being asked about the timing, uh, the arrival of the fullness of God's kingdom? What is Jesus' intent in telling the story? Well, oddly enough, I think the best place to start is actually right at the end. Look again at verse 13. This is Jesus himself wrapping up his parable. He says, therefore, 
So again, therefore, in other words, because of what he has just revealed to us about the coming of the kingdom in this parable, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know the day or the hour. The first reason Jesus tells this parable is to make it clear to his audience And by the way, his audience, if you go back to the beginning of this little section, is the disciples. It's his followers. They have come to him in private to ask about this. And Jesus says, first of all, uh, you do not know the day or the hour. And this means exactly what you think it means. We do not know when Jesus will return. We don't know when the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. Uh, And in fact, In case you're tempted to think like maybe this is an outlier or maybe Jesus didn't really mean this, Jesus actually makes the same point a few verses earlier, Matthew 24, 36. And if anything, he makes it more emphatically in the previous chapter. He says this, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, not the son, but only the father. Let me say that again. No one knows, Jesus says. You don't know, I don't know, the angels in heaven don't know, Jesus himself does not know. Only the Father knows the day and the hour. Now, why am I stressing such a basic thing? Well, because the indeter- this known but indeterminate interval of time is the entire reason for the parable. Look, think about the parable. The bridesmaids know that there is going to be a wait. All 10 of them know that. They know there's going to be a wait. What they don't know is just exactly how long the wait will be. Uh, Similarly, as Jesus suggests in several parables, as well as his non-parabolic teaching, he expects a gap. Jesus expects an interval of time between his current ministry and the coming of God's kingdom in its fullness. This is, in fact, I think, an important feature of Jesus' ministry. It's worth noting. Uh, If you look all through the Gospels, you'll find Jesus simultaneously insisting that the kingdom of God was, in fact, present in his work and words. And at the same time, you'll find Jesus insisting that the fullness of the kingdom was still a future hope. That's why... You can find Jesus at the same time telling parables like the ones we looked at last week, teaching about the presence of God's kingdom here and now, and then at the same time, he's telling his disciples, you need to pray each and every day that God's kingdom would come. Jesus teaches consistently that the kingdom has arrived in his ministry, but there is an indeterminate gap between its arrival and its fullness. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're one of his disciples, you've asked this question, you now know a couple things that are important about the kingdom of God. First, you know that the kingdom of God is here now in the ministry of Jesus. Second, you know that Jesus himself expects a gap, an unknown length of time between his ministry and the day God finally deals with evil and puts the world to rights. And third, Jesus says, you have now learned that it is important, it is important to be ready for that day. That's one of the big points of this parable. 
So how is it that we can be ready when we do not know, when we cannot know the day or the hour? Well, if you're a bridesmaid and you don't know when the bride and groom are going to return, the only wise course, the parable suggests, is to have your oil with you at all times. In other words, if you do not know the day or the hour, the only wise course is to be ready at all times. I've mentioned before that when I was in seminary, I worked uh, with a a company building office furniture, uh, cubicles, private office suites, those kinds of things, uh, big conference tables. Um, And I I was hired by a guy named Jerry. And uh, Jerry hired me to be part of the Wells Fargo crew. And right away, one of the first jobs I started was this big whole floor build out in the North Star building downtown. And the first day on the job, I found out from a lot of my coworkers right away, they, they were eager to tell me, to warn me, they said, look, Jerry is a difficult boss. He's a hard guy to work for. I said, really? He seemed nice enough during the interview. And they said, well, yeah, he, he does seem nice enough during the interview. But here's the thing about Jerry. He oversees a lot of jobs, and because he can't be everywhere at once, uh, the way he makes sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do is he loves to show up unannounced at all his different spots. When you least expect him, then he's going to show up. Uh, that's, that's how he does it. And, and I found out right away, I mean, week one, that there were basically two different groups, two schools of thought on how to deal with this difficulty that Jerry posed. There was one school that I'll call the prognosticators. All right, so this is, it was a, it was a smaller group, but it was a committed group. Uh, they had a network, all right? They had people at other places uh, in the company that would text them, and, and they would gather information. They'd say, hey, I just got a text from somebody over at UHG. Jerry just left. They, they're, they're sure he's headed towards us. Uh, oh, I heard from somebody in the office this week that Jerry has a dental appointment. I'm pretty sure it's this afternoon, so I think we're in the clear, right? And so they would gather this information, they, they would process it together, and they would issue bold proclamations. They would say, there's no chance Jerry's going to show up this morning. I, we know for certain he has something else going on. Or they would say, man, you better be on your game this afternoon because Jerry might show up at any moment. And then there was a second group. And the second group said, don't listen to these jokers over here. Uh, I, I know they have a very complex system. The one thing they forgot to tell you is that they're wrong all the time. <laughs> Jerry is always showing up when they say he's definitely not going to show up, and he doesn't show up when they promise us he is. They said, look, as much as they'd like to pretend otherwise, they just don't know when he's going to come. The smart thing to do is to just work when you're supposed to be working. Then it doesn't matter when Jerry shows up. If Jerry shows up in the morning or the afternoon, it doesn't matter. If you're working when you're supposed to be working, it'll be fine. Jerry's a tough boss, but he's fair. Look, one of the interesting things about this parable I realized this week is that when we think about how to apply it, we find ourselves actually in almost the same situation as the disciples, at least with respect to redemption history. Like the disciples, we live in a time after Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom, but also before his return to put everything to rights. And like the disciples, we have no idea how close or far away we are from his return. We just don't know. And so as a result, uh, we don't really need to adapt the application of this parable for our context. It's the same as it was for the original audience. 
And the clear lesson of the parable is that because we do not know and we cannot know the hour of Christ's return, we are wise to be ready at all times. Readiness for the arrival of the couple is the only thing that separates the wise from the foolish bridesmaids. Friends, that's, that's the contrast the parable sets up. Readiness for the couple is the only thing that separates the wise from the foolish bridesmaids. Now, this parable on its own does not address what readiness looks like or what it means for us. Uh, it just insists that it's important for us to be ready. But other nearby parables do address that. Uh, the parable of the sheep and the goats that Pastor Joel talked about a few weeks ago, it addresses, it answers that question, what it looks like to be ready. So do some others. And in a minute, I'm going to offer some applications based on those other teachings. But before we get there, I want to make one more simple, but I think often misunderstood point about this parable and others like it. And that's this. This parable is eschatological. That is, it has in view what we would typically think of as eschatology, which is a fancy word that really just means the last things. Uh, the return of Jesus in the fullness of God's kingdom will be the end of this age. It will be the beginning of a new age, but it will be the end of this age. The events Jesus is alluding to in this parable are the things that are going to happen at the end of this age. And this parable does tell us a couple really important things about the end of the age. First, it promises us that that day is coming and it will one day come. You can take that to the bank. Jesus promised it. And friends, that, that's not a small thing. That, that is a tremendously hopeful and wonderful thing. Uh, second, we do not know when that day will be. I know I'm, I'm repeating this a lot here, but it's the main point. Jesus, Jesus tells us we cannot know when that day will come. But here's what I want, the point I want to make now. Jesus tells us about the future, not so that we can obsess over the one thing he plainly tells us we cannot know, namely when exactly that day will be. Jesus tells us about the future so that we will change the way that we live in the present. Jesus' intent in telling us about the future is that we would change the way that we live in the present. I'd ask you one more time to consider that the foolish bridesmaids are foolish, not because of what they do when the groom arrives. They're foolish because of what they did or did not do long before he showed up. It's not silly of them to go and get lamp oil when they need lamp oil. What was foolish was to have not have been ready before the groom arrived. Jesus tells this parable so that we will be motivated to do the hard work of obedience now. He tells it so that we'll be motivated to do the hard work of obedience now. Then, like the wise young women who had their lamp oil ready, when the rule of God comes to earth, we will be ready and excited to live in God's kingdom and according to his will. I'd like you to imagine uh, that you are in the early church. You know, let's say it's the early church in Rome. 
Uh, it's, it's a thriving church. It's doing well. And you, you are part of a Bible study that has been uh, exploring the, these hopeful predictions about the coming of God's kingdom in its fullness. Uh, you're, you're living in a time of persecution. The Roman Empire is not friendly. And so you're looking ahead to this glorious day when Christ will return and put everything back. But as this Bible study goes on, uh, you start getting increasingly nervous because you recognize that there's 11 people in the study and five of them very clearly believe Jesus is coming back really soon, like in their lifetime and the very near future. And five of them are kind of saying, well, I don't know, it, it, it could be soon, but, but it, it could also be a really long time. And, and both groups, you realize, are there to lobby you. They want you to cast the deciding vote, right? They want you, they're, they're, each group is trying to win you over to their side so they can, they can declare via the democratic process that this must be the right answer. And so uh, you're increasingly nervous. Every week you go, you're getting a little more uncomfortable because those arguments are becoming a little bit more pointed. Uh, people are starting to get frustrated with each other. And so, so finally you realize, like, I, I got to get out of here. I, I, this, I don't want to, I didn't sign up to cast the deciding vote. And so the next day, the next time you're supposed to have Bible study, uh, instead of going to Bible study, you, you realize, you know what, I have a neighbor, she's a widow, uh, she needs help with some things, I'm just going to go help her. That's, that's what I'm going to do instead, I'm going to hopefully let things cool down in my group. Uh, so you're over there, you're helping her with some projects around the house, and here shows up your Bible study. They've been looking for you. You didn't show up. Uh, they already know where, all, where, the, where they all are. They, they're trying to win you over. And they said, what are you doing here? How, how come you're not in Bible study? We need to decide this issue. We need to figure this out. And you say to them, look, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. I don't know if it's going to be in a little while or a long while. All I know is that when Jesus comes back, I want to see, I want him to find me about his work. That's what I know. Friends, if Jesus' warning is anything to go by, many of us spend too much time worrying about if and when Jesus is going to return. To the first concern, if you're worried about if he's going to come back at all, I have good news for you this morning. That day is coming and it will come. God has promised and he is faithful. So don't worry, that day will come. If you're worried about when exactly that's going to happen, I've got good news for you too. You're never gonna figure it out. Nobody knows, you don't know, I don't know, the angels in heaven don't know, only the Father does, only the Father knows. So you, can, you don't need to worry about that either. That's, that's the concern of the Father and the Father alone. What this parable suggests this morning is the, king, the, the question we ought to spend our time worrying about. The, time, the question we should be thinking on is, am I ready? Are we ready? Are we preparing ourselves now for a future in God's kingdom? Now, if that's the question we should spend time on, I'm going to take my last few minutes here to talk about it. How do we prepare how do we live in such a way now that we will be ready when that day comes? Well, as I said, this parable itself doesn't address that, but others do. I would suggest to you this morning that the big picture answer to that question is 
that we need to strive to reflect the character and priorities of Jesus in our own lives. It's the prayer we prayed earlier. Uh, We need to be committed to the process of being conformed to the likeness of the Son. If you want to know what that looks like specifically, I would, as I mentioned before, I would point you back to the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus gets real practical. Clothe the naked. Feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. And that parable, Jesus reveals that those kinds of things, giving our life in service to the least of these, are so valuable, so highly prized in in God's kingdom, that that work is reckoned to be service to the king himself. That's how you get ready for life in God's kingdom. I'd also point you to Micah 6.8. The prophet Micah says, you want to know what's good? You want to know what the Lord requires of you? Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Friends, if we seek justice, if we are just in our dealings with others, if we cultivate, if we learn to love mercy, and by the way, that's a hard thing to do. Often when I show mercy, it's begrudgingly. Man, love mercy. If you can learn to love mercy, if you cultivate humility, you will be more than ready for life in God's kingdom. I want to end on a hopeful note because I think the parable is, is intended to give us hope. That day is coming and it will come when Jesus will return in glory, when he will deal finally and forever with evil, when he will put his beloved creation to rights bringing his rule to the whole cosmos, even as it is now in heaven. And I'm prepared to promise you this on the basis of Jesus' own teaching in the Gospels, that if you do those things, if you follow the example of the sheep in that parable, if you do what the prophet Micah calls you to do, I promise you that you will transition seamlessly and joyfully into the rule of God, and to the age to come. If Jesus insists that we should be ready, that's the way to be ready. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, it is easy uh, for us to look around uh, and to see that the kingdom is not here in its fullness. Father, we still see around us in all sorts of ways, small ways and large ways, the terrible toll that sin and evil still takes on your good world. God, I pray that we would continue to be people who are faithfully at prayer for those situations. But God, I pray also that we would be people of hope, uh, having as we do firm assurance, great confidence that the day is coming and will come when you will put your world to rights. And God, I hope that you will help us. I ask that you would help us in line with your teaching this morning to be ready. Lord, help us to be people who are motivated to do the hard work of obedience today so that we might be ready, so that we might welcome your kingdom and your rule with great joy. Lord, help us to be ready for that day so that we will join, may join eagerly in the great celebration of all creation. In your name we pray. Amen.